This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey friends, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thanks for being here today. I'm so glad to have you. This is a podcast for runners and I also host a lifestyle parenting type podcast as well called Why Is Everyone Yelling? And I'm the co-host on the new podcast for runners called Relay. If you enjoy the style of this show, I highly recommend checking out Why Is Everyone Yelling? That is the lifestyle parenting podcast. And if you're big into running, I highly recommend checking out Relay. I have eight other co-hosts on that podcast and we are having so much fun over there. All right, well, today's episode here on I'll Have Another is with Vanessa Corcoran, and she's a listener of the show. And you know what? Every once in a while, listeners of the show write books, and all of you, I know, are doing amazing things, but Vanessa's book in particular is a memoir about running. It's a marathon, not a sprint, My Road to the Marathon and PhD. It's the story of taking on two challenges, training for the marathon and beginning and finishing a doctoral program in medieval history. Although both challenges may seem to be in stark opposition to one another, they share a lot in common and both require overcoming significant mental roadblocks. I love being able to highlight stories of listeners of the show. Uh, Emily Piper was another one that we had on, another listener who wrote a book. And I also love supporting authors. I know that it takes so much to write a book and put things out there. And there's more work into it than we can even imagine. So when someone has a new book out, I'm always ready and willing to help spread the message. And I love having everyday runners on too. I know we focus on professional runners a lot on this podcast, but it's fun to have people just like you and me who maybe aren't running 230 marathons uh, and hear their perspective and their life balances. Vanessa's also a mother. And I know that you are going to enjoy this conversation with Vanessa. I want to thank Gooder for supporting this podcast. These are the best sunglasses out there. They're functional, fashionable, and they have all sorts of fun colors. They have classic colors and styles, and they are affordable. Not only are they affordable, they don't break easy either. They like really stand the test of time. I just throw these suckers in my purse and they survive. I don't know how they do, but they do. They have some really cool new sunglasses out now. I love the I like it like that. These purple sunglasses. I think those are my new favorites. And for listeners of the show, you can get free shipping. The code is another. It's just another. And when you use that code, you get free shipping off your order. So go to gooder.com slash another. Use the code another and that'll get you free shipping. All right, friends. Today on the podcast, we have Vanessa Corcoran on the show. Welcome to the show, Vanessa. Thank you. So excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to finally connect and do this. Uh, We've been kind of talking about possibly having you on the show for a while now. So it's fun to actually put like a voice and a face to someone I've interacted with online for probably a few years now. I know. I know. I was trying to think about when I first started also just listening to your show and it was a while before this, but I remember your first episode with Dina Castor, I think Mm -hmm. right when her book was coming out Mm -hmm. and you were getting ready to run your, what was, I think going to be your big PR. Yeah. Um, And I was on a run running like a 12 mile run and being so amped. It was such a great conversation. Oh, Um, I love that you bring that one up because obviously like that goes down as one of my all time favorites, but at the time it felt so monumental just like it was such a big deal for me to interview Dina and I and now I know she's been on lots of different shows and I've had the opportunity to interview her in person several times but I think that interview coinciding with me running a marathon PR just like made so much sense and also looking back to that time you know when you're like doing something we'll get into this with with what you've done but like you know when you're like doing something really kind of big in your life now I reflect back and I'm like dang that was badass that I ran that marathon PR one 
one year postpartum, my husband, my husband's mom had just passed away. Like all this stuff was going on in my life. I just had my first live show and I didn't realize how big it was at the time. And now I look back and I'm like, whoa, good job. You know, I know, I know. I had the chance to meet her at a race um, in Arlington, I think in 2013. Um, and there was like an elite race and then there was like a local part of the race and she was, I think, broadcasting or something. And I won the local race. Oh, fun. And she was there for then like when they were like giving out the medals. And I was just so excited because I had followed her career. And 2013 was, I think that was her 40th birthday. And that was the year that she ran the Moscow um mm-hmm. Moscow World Championships, and it was, like, so hot, and she came in sixth. And um, and so I was talking to her, and I, I said, you know, that race was – and then she jumped, and she said, impossibly hard. And Aww. she just and, – and, and I said, but it was so gutsy and so brave, and it was really just interesting to hear, it, you know, from her perspective, like, just how hard it was. Where we were all, like, that was badass. That was amazing, you know. Um so definitely. Yeah, she's she's amazing. Um, so tell us a little bit about your history with running. So I really didn't get into true running until I was an adult. I did middle school cross country because they told us going into seventh grade, you have to either try soccer or cross country. And I was so afraid of ball sports. I got the wind knocked out of me once in third uh-huh. grade. And and I still have like the instinct to like duck when when a ball comes at me. So I thought, well, I'll I'll try this cross country thing, which my parents were like, really, you know. Um, my mom likes to tease me because I used to ask if she would bring the car around if we went to the mall, and like you know it goes end to end. I'd be like, could you pick me up on the other end? She's like, no, you have uh-huh. to walk back. And so she was like, really, you're gonna do cross country. <laughs> Uh, but I, I really, I actually did really like it, um, particularly because there were no balls involved, but because <laughs> it conflicted with um, drama and I was more of like a an art person or like arts choir band, everything. Um, I did that through college and, you know, would sometimes run a couple of miles, you know, and be like, oh, this is going to be the semester in college that like uh-huh. I actually have like a health routine and felt like you'd meet people like you know, I had friends on sports teams, but then you also had friends that like were already committed to fitness in college. And they're like, this is just the thing I do. And uh-huh. I think I really admire that. I really want to try that. And it would last for like a couple of weeks and then it just never stuck. Um, but when I moved to Washington, D.C. in 2008 to start graduate school, I was like very set on like, I'm in a new city, I'm in a new program, and this is where I'm actually going to, like, do those kinds of things and, like, become a person who runs. And, you know, from what I've heard, graduate school is very hard, and I'm going to need something to help with that. And so really started just using that as a way to learn my way around campus um, at Catholic University and then, like, start to explore D.C., um, and I was fortunate enough that there was also a friend of mine who got into it at the same time um, in in fall 2008, and we would go on once a week. We would drive down to the National Mall and run around the mall, and um, it was very early Saturday mornings, and so like, the sun would be coming up. You could see the Washington Monument and the, the Lincoln Monument. It was so pretty, um, and he would say, like, well, we should do a marathon at some point. And it, we were running, like, four miles, mm-hmm. maybe five miles. Um, and, you know, you just, when you run, you think you could do all the great big things. Um, oh, yeah. Like, the biggest dreams happen, like, around right? mile four. <laughs> right. <laughs> and But a few weeks later, he sent me an email saying, like, we should really do this. Um and so we said, sure, and um, I signed up to do uh, the National Marathon, um, which was in March of 2009, having only run, I think, then at that point, six miles. <laughs> but really just felt like 
in some ways, I mean, and I know you have children too, like you're really just meant to do things in those incremental steps. Like uh-huh. you can't think about like the end of your pregnancy at the beginning right. of your pregnancy. Um, and similarly, you can't think about running 26 miles when you've only run five, but you can run six and then eight. And so it was like slowly building up and it just became, yeah, such a fun way to learn my way around DC. Like I'm a very directionally challenged person. Oh, me too. This was all, you know, this was 2008, 2009 before five years before I had a smartphone. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would just run, like I would like look at Google Maps on my computer before I left, figure out what was like the straightest route to get to the mall um, and literally like run down um, North Capitol Street, which in retrospect was not the safest (laughs) route. Like, you know, you also, again, not only do you look back and like, wow, how did I do that? Sometimes Uh I think the decision to in your 20s, why did I do that? And I still live in Washington, D.C., and I will sometimes pass by that area and I'm like, I used to do that every Saturday morning at seven o'clock in the morning, just run because it was a straight shot. Um, but it was like the foolproof way to me not getting lost. Um, uh-huh. Because at that point, getting lost on a run, it was just, I remember it happening one time and I was so, because there are also a lot of um, rotaries in DC, which pain for driving. But uh-huh. I remember getting like spun out into the wrong spoke you know, as it were, and not figuring out how to, like, make my way back. And uh-huh. So anyways, um, but I, I would do that, and it was it was so fun, and it was, like, sometimes I would listen to music at that point, but not always, and it was just a good way to, like, think and, and decompress, and um, I think I was also probably so focused on, like, not getting lost, too, right. that I didn't need the distractions of music or a, or a podcast. Um, but it was really just this really, now in retrospect, um, exciting time of discovery of and of self-discovery because this just wasn't someone that I was at all. Like, you know, if people who knew me in, in high school, like they, they couldn't believe that I was mm. doing this. Like I just was not an athletic person. Um but it was fun to like find out this new part of me and and start making connections to this city that you know would ultimately become my home. Um, at, when you were saying that, I was thinking about like how we associate ourselves with like certain things. Like someone would, asso- I would say I'm a runner, and then someone else might say I'm not a runner. Um, mm-hmm. And then I also was thinking about it in the sense of like lately, I've been trying to do like so. I always say like, I'm such an anxious person and I'm trying to remove that from my vocabulary because like, of course I'm going to believe that I'm an anxious person if I'm constantly telling myself I'm an anxious mm-hmm. person. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because as, as you're talking about this like identity thing, like nobody would have identified me as a runner, but here I was like running and doing that. Mm-hmm. I just think we can so limit ourselves in what we end up doing with our lives based on how we label ourselves. And so I love that you weren't just like, I'm just not a runner. Yeah, totally. What What's funny with that label and identity thing, so my daughter Lucy will say I'm a runner when I have running clothes on. Ah. But so for her, she sees it as like it's very like – outfit based yeah Um, (laughs) which is logical I mean I I get that when like you're three years old that's what your brain does right right she'll say you're a runner you know but then like today she'll she'll look at me like and I'm wearing a dress she'll say you're not a runner I said well Uh I'm not running right now yeah Um, but I also think to your point about like you describing yourself as as an anxious person and and so am I but that isn't necessarily something that people would see Mm. on first impression it makes me think a lot about the wonderful, all the women's running books that are out now, Kara Goucher's, Lauren Fleshman's, um, Desi's, and they all talk about anxiety and struggles with mental health and struggles with 
imposter syndrome, which I certainly identified with too. And on the surface, I mean, these are Olympians. These are people with world championship medals and won the Boston Marathon. Yet, you know, the common thread between all of them isn't just their love of running, but their true fear of not really being able to make it um, Mm. and not feeling like it was enough. And I was really struck by that because they all, you know, to 99.9% of the population, extremely accomplished in their careers. Yet when you have the time to, you know, read their whole uh, life story in a memoir, all revealed all of these times where they didn't think, even when they were competing against each other. And that was kind of an interesting thing to read in their books, too, is like they, they talked about, you know, running against each other. And I was nervous, you know, competing against Kara or I was running against mm-hmm. Lauren and they all and they're also fantastic. Um, and I feel really yeah. lucky that they've been willing to share all of that. But yeah, I one of the things I took from their books was like how much they were reflecting on their childhood as well, which is what you do when you write a memoir. But I also think that um, I'm similar ages to the three of them and like, well, and Steph as well, and probably you. Um, And so it's like, I think that we're at this age where we like really start reflecting on our childhood and how that affected who we grew up to be and Mm -hmm. what was going on in our minds at that point. And I also think that now in 2023, where there's just like so much therapy in our culture that like we are pushed to, to think back to that, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing. It helps us like understand ourselves way, way more. But I didn't really start digging into that personally until my kids started getting to the age where I was like seeing some certain things like I know your daughter's three and so I wasn't necessarily thinking about it yet but now that my older ones are like oh we're having like real conversations now with Mm -hmm. brains that are like rapidly developing I'm thinking back to my childhood so much and also like wanting so much to to do this thing well (laughs) it is really challenging it's really challenging you know running can be hard writing a dissertation was hard parenting is extremely hard let's talk about that though you're you writing the dissertation and your book it's a marathon not a sprint is very much about the parallels and also the big differences of training for a marathon and completing a phd um why did you write the book and what's it about so the book was something that was well formed probably before the dissertation was well uh, formed, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. or at least the story. Um, and I had, when I moved to D.C. And, and started graduate school and then decided to do the marathon, um, I got into blogging. And mm. so I, you know, wrote my first entry, I think it was like December 2008. I'm new to D.C. I'm going to run a marathon and I'm going to write about it. Okay. And so it just started to be, you know, all, you know, talking about my first 20 mile run, you know, race recaps, training, you know, recaps, um, but also interspersed with those would be stories about graduate school, mm. um, because I feel like both fields are kind of niche. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people in grad school thought running was strange. And so I was <laughs> like, well, I'm writing about this so that you see what the running stuff is about and um, I think grad school and I think studying medieval history is pretty niche. Um, Can you also so tell I, us why, like, where did that come from? So Middle, really, studying that. Yeah. So studying medieval history was really a series of happy coincidences. I actually okay. thought I was going to study American history in college. Um, but you have to take classes in all these different fields. And I took a seminar on uh, plague in Renaissance Italy. Okay. This was 2004. Okay. No one was talking about pandemics in a contemporary uh, sense. Right, right. Um, but it was so fascinating, and I don't think I knew anything about the plague. And I think, you know, if I go back and think about, like, what high school, you know, survey courses were like, history survey courses, you know, it was like pyramids, Greece, crusades, and then it was like renaissance, and then things pick up after that. Like, it was so glossed over. And and the Middle Ages, you know, are roughly about a thousand years, about the year five hundred to the year fifteen hundred. Wow! Right. So this thousand year period that's 
not unaccounted for, but not taught heavily, you know, at the high school level. Um, and so the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. And, and the more I felt I could appreciate how much of our society took from that time period. Mm. Too, in terms like of, what? Um, our parliament, <laughs> in terms of government, um, you know, it's not the Constitution. The Constitution isn't the first, you know, modern document. It's the Magna Carta in 1215 um, that is the early inspiration, you know, for our American democracy. Certainly had a long way to go. We still do. Um, you know, it's often a misnomer that, you know, calling the Middle Ages the Dark Ages, right? And it's easy to say things like medieval torture, right, and barbaric. And, um, and there were... Literal, literal barbarians. There are all of these um, groups: the Goths, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, the Vandals. Really great names, right? That's all true. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to deny that. But the university, the university is a medieval institution, um, and so there are all of these different organizations that have their roots in the Middle Ages. And seeing the line from then to now was also really fascinating. And I think that's what makes it really fun to teach, too. Mm. Um, it's not to say that, you know, we're repeating history or anything like that. But there are a lot of patterns and, and practices from the Middle Ages that continue to this day, you know. And, and then when the pandemic did happen, you know, we did have a pandemic that uh, the world lived through in the 14th century, and understanding not just the economic and health implications, but the political implications and social implications. Some people acted like it was the end of the world and prayed. Some people afterwards partied, right? Um, and to see, you know, all the ways in which the world shifted because of that mm. makes what's happening now make a lot more sense. Hey friends, all right, we've got a new sponsor today that I am pumped to tell you about. It is 2B4. 2B4 is a natural sports performance superfood made from New Zealand blackcurrant berries. What do blackcurrant berries do? Well, they contain unique levels of antioxidants called anthocyanins, which have been proven to boost athletic performance by increasing blood flow, making it more efficient for the body to pump oxygenated, nutrient-rich blood to the muscles. It also kickstarts your recovery, helps with muscle soreness, and manages inflammation, and it strengthens your immunity. Immune-boosting antioxidants and natural-occurring vitamin C are in these black currant berries. I gotta tell you, it also tastes refreshing and delicious. So you can drink it daily, 30 to 45 minutes before you work out, You'll feel that effect of it around 60 minutes from taking it. You just mix it up with around four to eight ounces of water or electrolyte drink, whatever you're drinking. I just mix mine with water and there you have it. All right, so I am really excited for you to check it out and excited to hear how it works for you. You can save 30% off 20 packs plus free shipping when you use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y at checkout. Just go to two, the number two, before.com and use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, and that'll get you 30% off 20 packs plus free shipping. All right, friends, back to the show. Um, so what are the similarities in the marathon and the PhD program? Both are seemingly solo tasks, but require a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Um you know, because at, at the end of the day, you know, you're the one trying to cross the finish line. You're the one, you know, whose name is on the top of the, mm-hmm. you know, project. Um, but neither can truly be done in isolation. Mm. Um, or at least not done well and not done in a way that leaves you better than when you started. Um, and that was part of the reason that really why I wrote the book was to show you know that this this being the dissertation you know is something that requires a lot of support in in all aspects and that um, yes you need your faculty to sign off on it um, but you need family who understands how long this is going to be and and providing all different kinds of support 
you know, in, in the same way, you know, a marathon, you know, just takes an incredible amount of time and patience and learning how to, in both senses, deal with setbacks, like, mm-hmm. along the way, even if you've had, you know, one good stretch training for a race, that's, it's just not a guarantee that that's always going to be the case. And learning how to cope with setbacks, I think, is really important in both respects. Um, you know, the beginning of running went really well for me mm-hmm. and then dealt with um, some knee injuries and, and um, also with a, a diagnosis of celiac disease all at the same oh, time. And yeah, um, I had to figure out how to restructure a lot of things at the same mm-hmm. time. And so I was doing all this physical therapy and then I was reworking my diet. Um, and it was shortly actually after Steph, uh, Steph Bruce really like broke onto the scene mm-hmm. and I was so excited because I was like, okay, she just got diagnosed and now uh-huh. and she's fixed her diet and she is kicking ass. Awesome. Okay. That was, and like, she was such a big motivational like person to just watch um, because of it. I mean, you know, changing your diet and giving up things that you've been used to like is just tricky and it's been. I think 12 years now and I, I don't have to think about it as much it's just normal but at the beginning it was very helpful to just say like hang on mm-hmm. you know if you can follow that kind of trajectory like it's going to pay off there's so much value in people sharing their stories like exactly. so that you you found someone like that just like validates how much someone like Steph shares because right if it did that for you how many other people did that it do that for Exactly. And then in a similar sense, you know, you know, things kind of kept clicking along uh, in graduate school. But then I hit a point with some negative feedback that really made me wonder if I could finish it. That's so Um, hard. And it was at a point where I also felt like I'm too deep into this to not finish. But Mm -hmm. I also just I don't know what else I could do. Mm -hmm. But what if what if it's really not meant to be? Um, and it took, I do think those, you know, the running setbacks helped, but the real, I mean, the, the, the real points, you know, that were helpful in those academic setbacks were, you know, then starting therapy, starting medication to deal with what was not just imposter syndrome, Mm. um, about feeling competent as an academic, Mm. but was like, oh, this is clinical anxiety. Yeah. This is keeping you up at, at night. This is making, this is interfering with your life and it took a lot of support um and encouragement from my husband from my parents to just keep going you know like like des linden says keep showing up um to just trust that it was going to eventually work and then academically also in terms of support i used our university's writing center which originally i thought well that's really for undergrads who are just learning to write, but they have like a whole, you know, center, you know, dedicated to graduate students who are trying Mm. to finish their dissertations. And that was transformative too. And then, you know, so it was this whole semester or season of like reworking things and really just trying to be patient that it was going to stick. And then a year and a half later was when I finished. And it's not to say like, and then the end and it wrapped up. Yeah. Um, but it took a long time to like reframe my thinking, both my thinking towards anxiety, but then also my thinking about how to organize my project and everything. Um, and then things slowly started to click more. You know, there's two things I was thinking about when you were saying that is that one is, well, with the anxiety medication, I, if you follow me, you probably know I started taking anxiety medication as well, um, in December part of my hesitation was like, um, I don't know that I need this forever because this is very cyclical for me. Mm -hmm. And so I feel pretty good right now. I was like, for sure. I wanted to stay on it through my surgery that I just had, but Mm -hmm. also like, when will it be time to see if I can taper off? Um, I'm curious, did you have those thoughts and feelings too? Like, um, once I'm through my dissertation, like, Will it ever be time to taper off or do I want to do this forever? That has to be one of the scariest things about people starting these kinds of medications because I don't think 
most people want to be like, this is what I have to take for the rest of my life if we don't have to. And it's okay if we do. But I'm at the point where I'm like, what now? You know? Yeah. I think what was, I don't, I didn't have that thought. I think at that point I was just so desperate. The thought just of give me something. Or, you know, um, because real, you know, I look back and I should have started that years before, you know, the root. And I agree. Years. Same. Yeah. Um, for me as well. I think the scarier thing in terms of my thinking was how much future happiness I had placed on finishing my dissertation. Mm. You know, I will be happy when right. I'm done. Um, oh, yes. This will be the thing that will give me a sense of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, when I defended, it was fantastic. I was so excited, you know, um, when they – because you do this two-hour defense with a bunch of professors, and then they, like, send you out into the hall to, like, talk about you. <laughs> um, you know, they shouldn't – ever set you up to fail like they shouldn't ever schedule a defense if they think you know so if they think you're not gonna pass right yeah um but you know when my advisor walked out and said you know congratulations dr corcoran like oh you know and that wasn't i mean and and we celebrated they popped champagne it was great the big moment of like total relief i was mentoring home afterwards and I was told, you know, a lot of times when you defend, sometimes you get told, like, we're passing you, but there's some stuff we want you to revise in the next month Mm -hmm. before you, quote, deposit, which is, like, submitting the final version. So just be prepared. Like, you might get something handed back to you. So there was, like, so we celebrated and everything, and I was on the, the Metro home, and I realized, oh, they didn't give me anything. Oh, I don't have... Oh, like, I'm, and I cried like I just because yeah. it's like oh, that like it's truly done um, and that was so and so and that was wonderful but then started the thoughts of what's next yeah which also meant finding a job and all of this and that was a little scary because I realized like I couldn't just be satisfied on this forever and it's now it's been six years and it's still a very happy moment. It's still something I'm very proud of. But it's also taken time to figure out, like, going back to what we started our conversation, talking about the the idea of identity, mm-hmm. that it's one aspect of my identity, but it's not everything. Mm-hmm. And that there are, fi- there are ways to find satisfaction in so many different respects that actually one of my goals for this year was um, – what I called goalless satisfaction. I <laughs> and, love that. And just the idea that um, I always like doing a new thing. You know, I do like, you know, what do you have coming up? What races are you going to of do? Of course. I, I don't have any races coming up, but I still love running very much. Yeah. Um, I don't have a new book that I'm working on. You know, I have a book that I finished that I'm really proud of and, and I hope people read and find that as they read it, even if, you know, they're not a runner, <laughs> not an academic, you know, it's a story about trying to find your way yeah. um, amidst um, amidst finding yourself, finding, finding what works for you um, in a world that tries to be very label specific, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in terms of finding, you know, goalless satisfaction, like how can I do these things just for the sake of having fun? Um, and if I, you know, sign up to do a race, you know, how can I do it without placing, you know, a time goal or hinging my happiness on on how well it went or, you know, not feeling like I have to create or produce different things in order to feel satisfied and fulfilled. Hey friends, a quick break here. Do y'all know how much I love Prevenex? If you are in the market for vitamins or supplements, look no further than Prevenex. They are clinically effective supplements that promote longevity, performance, and everyday health. And here's the thing. It's like, if you're going to put something in your body every single day, you should make sure it's from a reputable company. And I believe so fully in the research done on the products and that they deliver high quality ingredients 
So I take their multivitamin every day. I also take their Joint Health Plus every day. I actually just got a new review popped up. The founder, David, sent it over to me because he gets notified when people who use my code uh, leave reviews. And it's always so fun to see that these products are really helping people. Here's a review from a listener of the show. Prevenex is the first protein shake that tastes great, and I have been able to incorporate it into my routine. Okay, that's the Nerify Plus that my family uses every day. It's got a great blend of carbs, protein, and fats, and it is such an easy way to grab a quick mini meal after a workout if you're running on to the next thing. So friends, check out their Joint Health Plus, their multivitamins, their Nerify Plus, whatever... Whatever you need, they probably have it. They have probiotics, and they also have super bites for kids as well. Go to Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER, and that'll save you 15% off your first order. That's Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your first order. All right, friends, back to the show. Like, I love the idea of not just aimlessly training for a marathon for 16 weeks for the like very just like whatever goal of a certain time like it being so much more than that and um sometimes we forget about those deeper parts of it it just we Mm -hmm. get so focused on like the time that we want to run right right or you know like the whole idea of like oh well I you know I have to run 15 miles today like no you get to like yeah you know, for, for us, like our, our livelihoods don't hinge on it. And if, if it's not bringing you satisfaction, again, satisfaction, like, is it, is it worth it? And I understand yeah. like the stresses of like trying to fit things in. I mean, you know, for me, it's a lot of times, you know, during the week, can I fit this in when there's childcare available? Right, right. Um, you know, but if I'm just scrambling and just doing it and not taking anything out of it why am I trying to to make this part of my life so how did you work through like burnout and mental roadblocks with both the PhD and marathon training in terms of burnout I really needed a break after I was done and I mean there were a few weeks after where all I was trying to do actually it was I mean it was like what you do after a marathon like you catch up with people that you haven't seen uh-huh. for a while uh-huh and everything um it also was a time to like do all, again do things that I hadn't done as much and I didn't do a lot of fun reading in grad school mm. like I oh I mean how could you like because I just felt like if you're gonna read you should be doing academic reading right um and the summer before I finished um the sequel to To Kill a Mockingbird came out okay. uh, by, by Harper Lee uh, with Ghost at a Watchman. And I really wanted to read that. And I didn't want to wait. And so I read it and on, a, on a Saturday. And, and it kind of like broke things open for me. Like, oh, uh-huh. you can read for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one was saying, like, don't read for fun. You know, it was just like these weird your time management too like yeah yeah Um, you feel almost like guilty like if I'm gonna be reading I should be doing the school reading yeah and I I remember one time at a conference talking with this medieval historian who I really like and she was like well what are you reading for fun and I was like "Mm. what are you reading for fun she's like oh I'm reading these detective novels and I was like oh you know (laughs) I could do that yeah, and I should do that. And You know uh, what? I wish more people would do that with, with running and walking. Like, I value so much time with neighbors when we just walk or I do like a run walk with them. Mm-hmm. And I think so many runners are so high strung about getting their miles in, making sure it's just the right perfect pace that they miss out on so many opportunities to just like, you know what I mean? Like if you have a four-mile mm-hmm. run on your schedule and you end up running – two and then walking two with your neighbor because that opportunity arises like that's okay it's not going to ruin your training I wish people would loosen up a little bit about that yeah definitely I know I 
I am also just trying to like back off on like, okay, this is this is how many you should do today. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's just so comparable to what you're saying with the reading. It's like we put so much pressure on ourselves to like we have to do this a certain way and how you like divvied up your time is super important and reading takes a, some mental energy, but like giving yourself that break to just like not have the mm-hmm. pressure of only reading this. Same with running, like you don't only have to move your body this way and um, you know, not everybody's going to run as fast as you, but you don't have to lose, you know, the opportunity to, to be with other people. Yeah. I mean, I should be doing strength stuff. Right. But I'm like, but I also pick up Lucy at the playground uh-huh. and, you know, I'm doing all that kind of, you know, on my feet stuff too. Yeah. It's fine. Totally. <laughs> um, so we talked about goal of satisfaction, but you do have like a new challenge you want to take on right I think so okay what is it I I would like to do some sort of ultra marathon distance and what I am really leaning towards and this is really making more of a big public commitment by Uh oh (laughs) I would like to see I'll I'll qualify it a little I'd like to see how far I could run on the Washington and Old Dominion Trail in Virginia um, which does span 45.5 miles okay I think it'd be really cool to run the whole thing. You can I've do never, it. I've never run more than a marathon, but, Same. you know, we, we've done, you know, have you done an ultra marathon? No. No. Mm-mm. Like, we've had some half days, and I used to use my half days for running. And, like, I've gotten up to, you know, 18 miles, and I'm like, it's not that much farther <laughs> Yeah. To see if I could, you know, like one day wake up and run the 31 or yeah. even 27. It's like, okay, that's because um, I think that would be really cool. And and I know I could sign up for like an ultra marathon race, but I think also the idea, like, I do love the point to point, like of Boston, uh-huh. the idea of like traversing like a whole running path. And uh-huh. the, the the trail that I'm talking about, the WNOD trail, um, it's really pretty. It's the skinniest trail in Virginia. <laughs> Um, and it goes, um, from Arlington, like all the way out past Dulles airport. And um, okay, I lived in Virginia for a bit. I've run on, you know, a bunch of parts of the trail. It's really beautiful. Um, and I think it'd be really cool to, to try and do the whole thing. So we'll see how, how it goes this summer in trying to build up some mileage. I love the idea of just doing it instead of like signing up for an ultra too. Like, I just, I think that's like. I don't know if the maturity is the right word, but like, I just feel like you think to make it official, it has to be a race. And it's like, no, it doesn't. Right. I've done it all, you know, I have, I mean, because I live in DC, you know, I have a lot of friends that live kind of like along the way. I'm like, so well, get them set up could, like, out there. The whole thing. And like, you could jump in and ride your bike with me for 10 miles or, you know, totally. So I think it'd be really fun. So fun. Um, well, what's something professionally or personally, you'd like to do that you haven't done yet so that so some sort of ultra Uh (laughs) distance event um professionally um so I teach at Georgetown and um it's it's been a wonderful experience I would like to teach a class that has some sort of a broad um component fun Um, and so we have a couple of different options for like teaching a summer class or something connected to spring break. And so, you know, particularly this pilgrimage class that I just taught, um, a number of universities have something where it then ends with like a trip. And Mm. so I think it'd be really fun to design a class that has that sort of pilgrimage. I love it. So fun. Uh, What is the best, most recent book you've read? So all of the the running books that we just talked about, yes, uh, as well as Alison Desir's book, which I think really yes. needs to be the required reading for um, for runners running while black. But the non-running book, and I was thinking that you would probably enjoy this one a lot too, um, is Natasha Legero's "The World Deserves My Children." Okay, have you read this? No. You should try and get her for your wise parenting. Every- for your parenting podcast she's a comedian and um it's a funny and honest book about parenting and hesitancy towards parenting and just like the 
total honesty of parenting. She talks about the conflicting roles of her and her husband, and they're very much like how my husband and I operate, that he's the chief fun officer and she's the chief safety officer. Mm-hmm. And the tension between that. And so mm-hmm. um, it's funny, but also affirming too. Yep. I love that. Uh, yeah. I I think that the conflicting like parental roles can be super challenging, mm-hmm. especially when you get into like maybe not agreeing on how certain things should should go it's uh mm-hmm. yeah it's hard who is someone fun motivating or inspiring you'd like to have coffee tea or cocktail with so when i was telling my husband that we that was one of the questions he said well wouldn't it be the virgin mary so for context my academic dissertation was all about the virgin mary in the middle ages okay so i think in, in one sense i think that'd be really interesting I'll give the two-minute spiel. Yeah, do <laughs> it. My dissertation was that in the Middle Ages, despite seeing, you know, Jesus's mother is very demure and obedient and, you know, standing over Jesus as a baby, she was also this really powerful mediator and would save people from drowning or disease or in battle and like a total badass woman. And this, so we have all these really cool pictures of her like punching the devil and debating with the devil and like really fun, again, a, a badass woman. I think that would be really interesting to, to, to speak with her. Um, you know, the most written about woman in history, the most painted woman in history. Really? And, and, and to ask what her thoughts of how she's been depicted throughout history and, and globally. Like she's a global figure. And so when I've taught this pilgrimage course too, like there are all of these like shrines to Mary all over the world. Um, so that would be like my like dead or alive person. Um, but if I if there was someone that I could like feasibly meet, it'd be Lily Tomlin. Um, okay. Uh, who is so funny, um, you know, more recently in, in Grace and Frankie, but really. Oh, yeah. Was, um, you know. She was so good in nine to five, um, but also from my childhood, she was the voice of Miss Frizzle on the Magic School Bus. Okay. Um, and now my daughter Lucy is really into the Magic School Bus, too, and so we're watching it, um, and it's it still holds up like the old '90s show. Um, and so I'm actually wearing like a Miss Frizzle dress today. Nice. Um, it's Lucy's birthday and I read to her classroom this morning and we read, um, a book about the moon. Oh, I love it. She's very into space right now. But anyways, I think Lily Tomlin would be so much fun to hang out with. Um, okay. I have a question about the Virgin Mary. So do I. I have many questions. I'm like, I've been in this like phase of my like faith where I'm like, I don't know what I really believe and like how much of the Bible do you take literally versus not literally Mm -hmm. and um, I'm just curious, like, this is going to sound so dumb to so many people, but like, was she really a virgin? Like, did she really give birth? You know I what I mean? Like, that's a great question because there's been so much theology about it. Yeah. To be, yeah, um, and I feel it's stupid, like, even asking no, that, but I'm like, know. I don't know what to take at face value. And no, and without getting into like too much of a tangent, so much has been written about this topic because theologians in the middle ages debated it too okay and you know whether or not she was um whether or not she remained a virgin as well so you know i mean she was married um so some say no catholic church dogma so like the rules um say that she was from the beginning forever okay but that's not believed by everyone but within the catholic church that is their four main beliefs about Mary, and that's one of them. Um, but there was a lot of debate over it. And I think that's something that's also really fun about studying this topic is, like, these aren't just, like, modern debates. They've been going on for centuries, too. Okay. Give us, like, a book or a document or something to read that can, like, enlighten us a little bit. Mm. Like, that's not the Bible. <laughs> What do you suggest? Oh. Like, and it can't be too heavy because I, I just like won't you know. be able to absorb oh. it. Okay, this is what you should read. 
Okay. Um, the Bright Ages, A New History of Medieval Europe by Matthew Gabriel and David Perry. The and Bright History? No, it's called The Bright Ages. Ages, okay. So instead of The Dark Ages, okay. The Bright Ages. Um, a New History of Medieval Europe. And all of that talks about th- what I was talking about earlier. Going back to the beginning of, of our conversation today, it's dispelling the idea of the Dark Ages. Okay. So that's why it's called The Bright Ages. Um, and it's it's a collection of essays, so it's, accord- it's organized by theme. So just even reading like one or, one or two of those okay. would be really fun. Awesome. I love it. Thank you for that. Um, what's your last message to leave with the audience? There are more people in your corner than you think, mm. but you also need to let them into your corner too. Um, and again, this goes back to what we were saying earlier about imposter, imposter syndrome among, you know, Kara, Des, Lauren, um, all in, and listening recently to Kara and, and Des's new podcast, they connect so well, but there was so much that they didn't share with each other when they were competing against yeah. each other. And they've built this whole new friendship based on letting, letting each other in. Yeah. You know, I was, in terms of letting people into your corner, you know, when my book came out, people who read it, who knew me, you know, a lot of them said, we, we didn't know it was like this. Mm. And I wish I had just been more forthcoming um, yeah. about some of this because there were also a lot more people cheering me on that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. You know, that's um, really why I shared about my surgery on Instagram. I like really debated about it for a long time. I haven't talked about it a lot on the podcast, but I just felt like it was like oversharing a little bit, but also I knew in my heart that like I wanted the support of people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you aren't going to get that unless you tell people. Mm -hmm. And not that I had to like tell this big platform, but, um, it's just like you're, you, you will not get the support you need Mm -hmm. unless you ask for it or show that you need it. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's a really vulnerable and also like a look at me, you know, if that's what it felt like to me, I didn't Mm -hmm. want people to be like, Oh my gosh, here she is like chasing this attention. Um, but I'm so glad I did because it gave people the opportunity to show up. And even if it was just in a like message, um, it really mattered and meant a lot to me. Right. Well, and I mean, like, you know, right now, like I'm, you know, I'm looking at you, like you, you couldn't tell. Right. You know? How would you know? Um, and so, you know, but what does it mean once you know? You give someone grace. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I think we could all give each other more grace, too. Um, and I think it's hard that we have to sometimes then reveal more of ourselves, but. To get that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you just approach every conversation and relationship with curiosity, like I really don't know mm-hmm. what's beneath the surface here. Um, it'll, it's like Ted Lasso. Be curious, mm-hmm. not judgmental. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much, Vanessa. This was really enjoyable. Thank you. All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, Vanessa, for coming on the show. Go check out her memoir. It's a marathon, not a sprint by Vanessa Corcoran. Uh, You can find everything we talked about at sandyboyproductions.com in the show notes. You can even sign up to get those delivered to your inbox every week. I have a personal website, lindsayhine.com, and that's where all of my training plans and everything else I'm doing is on that website. If you have enjoyed this podcast or any of the shows, leaving us a rating and review is a huge help. So we really appreciate those. And uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626 on threads, lindsayhine626 on Twitter, X, whatever the heck it is, at lindsayhine. And I hope you're having a really great day and you have an awesome weekend. And we'll see you next week on All Have Another.